This week on the Sports Initiative podcast, I sit down with Major League Baseball Associate Scout, Jeff Stanek. He discusses his process when assessing players and his experience within this field, some of the key characteristics that can be identified in high-performing players, as well as the cross-training potential in some athletes. As always, if you enjoy this podcast, please make sure you share it with friends and family. I hope you enjoy. Jeff, I know we've caught up a little bit off air there, but um, really appreciate you spending a bit of your, your Friday morning with me. How are things your end? All, all safe and well? Yes, everything's going well here, and I really appreciate you having me on. I'm excited to get into this with you and uh, been looking forward to it. Yeah, perfect. So um, I think this is an exciting podcast for me. I know a little bit around the sport that you're involved with. I, I follow it a little bit. I wouldn't claim to be an expert, but I think this is a really good example of why I created this podcast, which is really to speak to someone in in that world and learn a lot from them. So I'm excited for that. For people that don't know you, haven't come across you before or first time first time listener, do you just want to explain kind of who you are, what what your role is and what sport you're in, et cetera? Sure. Uh, again, my name is Jeff Stanek. I'm, uh, I've been involved with uh, baseball at the college and a, and a little bit on the amateur scouting side of things. Um, you know, since I graduated college, I got a, a college coaching job. I coached at five different colleges in the United States um, at different levels at the division one level and junior college level. If, if your followers are familiar with the junior college, um, well, athletic and education system in the U S uh, but I coached at five different colleges and moved around several different States all around the United States. And, um, uh, I stopped coaching in college several years ago just for, for family personal reasons. But uh, since then, I've, I've joined on with a, a major league organization as what's called an associate scout here. Some people call us bird dogs. Uh, bird dog would be the uh, less formal name, but it's, it's probably more accurate. So a bird dog scout, um, what I do is just help a major league organization, major league baseball organization to, uh, you know, follow some, some sort of lower level pro prospects that are within my my area that I cover. Um, the Major League Baseball draft used to have 40 rounds and they, they changed that from time to time. Now, because of COVID, uh, well, after COVID, they changed some things and now we only have 20 rounds of the draft, but all 30 teams will make, you know, usually 20 selections. Sometimes there are a couple extra picks here and there, um, but it's a lot, of, a lot of players you have to scout, you know, to be able to draft that many players and into the minor league system. Um, so I sort of help with some lower end guys, uh, as I was explaining to Michael before we started recording, um, the, the full-time scouts, which I'm not, but the full-time scouts who I help and I report to cover a really vast area geographically, and they have to watch high school baseball games, as well as every level of college baseball that might be in their area. Uh, you know, we've got division one, division two, junior college, uh, division three, NAIA baseball. There's a lot of different, a lot of different schools that are playing baseball and they've got to cover all of that. And basically from the time teams are starting to play colleges will start up in February, but they're usually not playing as far North as I am until, uh, you know, not playing home games until March. Uh, and basically it's, you know, March through June is the time they have to cover 
um, baseball in a, in a lot of areas, in a lot of instances. So, so I just try to help with that. So I stay involved um, on that side of things. I, I also run a website called Figure It Out Baseball. Uh, the website is figureitoutbaseball.com. And uh, it's a training website that we've got for, that I, I created just for, um, for amateur players, um, coaches, and parents. It's a free, totally free platform. Um, and it features all of the contributors in the website are college and professional coaches. So what I tried to do is just bring a really high level of, you could call it like an educational uh, website uh, for baseball. But I tried to bring that to the amateur baseball community, just trying to do some, some good for the baseball community and baseball training can get really expensive. So I wanted to provide a platform that again was free. It was accessible to anyone and, and hopefully can bring some really high level instruction as again, all of our videos, you know, the videos are short, like three to six minute clips of a coach kind of teaching one specific skill or one idea. And, and again, all of our contributors, um, you know, coach at the college or professional level. So, so that's what I've been up to. And that's sort of my role in the baseball community past and present. And, um, you know, hopefully I can, I can add some things to this podcast based on that background. Perfect. So I think a good starting point for people that aren't necessarily aware of the system um, is to discuss what the farm system looks like in Major League Baseball. Obviously, um, if, if you go through high school, which kind of finishes 18 years of age, you've got a decision of maybe being drafted at that point or obviously going into the collegiate system and then being drafted further along. But there's obviously quite a substantial collegiate um, farm system with your double AA, A, triple A, etc. Can you just explain for people um, what that system looks like, and I guess what the purpose of the system is as well? Yeah, I, I, I guess you you kind of hit the nail on the head. There's there's a lot um, there's a lot I guess going on within the the minor league system uh, in in baseball. So. Um, they they also kind of recently changed this uh, the current the current uh, uh, baseball system has changed a little bit in the past couple of years. There there were quite a few minor league teams that were cut several years ago. Uh, the commissioner right now of Major League Baseball, Rob Manford, has done some things that I think have rubbed a lot of people the wrong way, and one of which is to cut back on a lot of minor league teams. So a lot of teams, a lot of cities that hosted minor league teams now. You know, they don't have teams there anymore. Now they've moved into like college summer leagues. But, but basically how uh, the, the farm system works within major league teams, and I think almost every major league team is very close to this right now. But I'll give you – I was kind of searching for the Pirates to give you an accurate um, reading what the Pirates minor league uh, system looks like. And I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm fairly local to, uh, to Pittsburgh and to the Pirates, so that's sort of the team that I follow the most. But um, there, there is a – what you might call like a rookie league for for uh, players that were signed internationally. There is no international draft. So if a player plays anywhere outside the, of the U.S. or or, uh, or the Canada, uh, you know, high school and collegiate system, they they get signed as international free agents. And, and they do have leagues for those players who oftentimes are signed at like 16 and 17 years old. Uh, but then um, once players get to the U.S. to play, uh, there are a lot of levels to go through. Uh, baseball is, I think, really unique in this way. There are, and, and this is sort of like sequential moving up, there are uh, rookie leagues, which is where um, players that were signed internationally as 16, 17-year-olds, like sort of as they progress, they would be in this league, but also high school players that are drafted, you know, as 18-year-olds, um, sometimes 17-year-olds, sometimes 19, depending how old 
guys are when they graduate from high school. But, um, you know, high school players usually go into what, what is called a, uh, a rookie league. <clears throat> um, and then, you know, players have to progress through from rookie league to they have low A and high A, double A, triple A, and then the major leagues. And usually players that are drafted out of college now with this, this system's only been in place for, I think, a year. But typically the high school players are starting out in rookie league. College players that are drafted uh, will start out uh, in the next level up, which would be low A. Um, and, and then again, they, they've got to progress, you know, and be promoted through several different levels before they have a chance uh, to ever get to the major leagues. And, and uh, there's a lot that goes into that, um, obviously. And with 20 rounds of the draft, you're getting, you know, 20 drafted players plus all the, the players that were signed internationally, <clears throat> um, sort of flooding your minor league system every year. So it's crowded. It's very crowded at the bottom, especially. And there's a lot of pressure to perform. And there are no really real guaranteed contracts. So, you know, players can be released almost at any time. Um, so it's, it's very competitive and there's a lot, uh, a lot to the minor league system, but that's, I hope that answers your question. But that's sort of how our, the farm system works within any major league team. So sometimes even people that don't, uh, aren't super familiar with the draft or the minor league system in the United States, they'll hear about a player getting drafted by the pirates and think that, Oh, I'm going to be able to see him in Pittsburgh. Uh, he's, you know, most guys are years away, even, even the first round picks, you know, the best players in the country coming out of college. It's pretty rare. Once every couple of years, you'll see a guy uh, anywhere in major league baseball, go right from college and immediately appear in major league games. Like, you know, maybe once every five years, Michael, you see that happen, but you know, I would say the average player that makes it to the major leagues spends three to five years in the minor league system before they get to the major leagues um, you know, pay at that level. It's not very good. It's, it's difficult. It's a difficult road for, for people, uh, to navigate, but, um, uh, but yeah, that's, that's kind of a, a briefing of the minor league, how the minor league system works. They call it the minor league system. Some people again, call it the farm system like you did, but, uh, but that's kind of basically how it works in the minor leagues. Yeah. I guess, correct me if I'm wrong, but the main purpose for that is kind of a developmental pathway to give them opportunities to work on aspects of their game that may be, um, either isn't quite major league ready or that they're going to make into a particular strength so that when they get to the major league, if they do, they're going to have real success with that. So is that kind of the purpose of, of that system and to, to help them have steps to develop continuously? Yeah, for sure. It's developmental. Um, you know, they are trying to coach guys and develop guys, but it, it's it's a way for baseball, such a, a finicky sport as far as, the difficulty of projecting who's going to be successful, which is why there are so many rounds of the draft. Um, and, you know, in addition to the 20 rounds of the draft that, that we've got, there are guys that are signing free agent contracts, even in the U S um, a, a college player that didn't get drafted or a player playing in what would be called independent baseball. That's professional baseball that's not affiliated with the major league system. So, but, but there, there are always guys kind of fluctuating in and out of, of all levels, but yes, the minor league system is for development. Um, and it's also just a way for guys to kind of weed themselves out or, or other guys to sort of play themselves into, you know, being a legitimate prospect who's got a chance to play in the major leagues. Um, at each of those levels, the, 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 as you can imagine, the skill level and the difficulty um, take a step up. And, and again, baseball is such a strange sport. So, you know, in American football, you get drafted out of college and you're immediately playing in the NFL um, and you can have an impact as a, as a rookie, right? Your first year out of college, 
that, that again that almost never happens in baseball it's um it's just such a fine line to um what separates you know a, a really good 22 year old from you know an all-star 26 year old that's in the major leagues so so yes each of these levels that these guys have to progress through when you talk to like minor league coaches or scouts um or like a general manager for an organization it's it's like guys have to sort of check some boxes at each level before they can get promoted to the next level so yeah each of the levels is is meant to you know work on specific skills um and and you know hone a different skill like for a pitcher for example he might have to work on the control of his pitches or might have to work on um, the effectiveness of his changeup or whatever that may be for hitters. It might be recognizing different pitches or, or just, you know, for, for someone that's getting, that's coming right from high school ball to pro ball, it's, it's, uh, you know, seeing really high premium velocity every day, which is different than what you see in high school where, you know, velocity can have a big fluctuation. So yeah, that, that's what the minor league system really is. It's, it's, uh, it's, you're teaching guys, but you're also seeing really, who is going to progress and who's going to keep getting better. Baseball is also one of those sports where sometimes someone you really don't expect, just they just kind of keep getting better every single year. And someone who was a pretty low prospect when they got drafted or coming out of high school ends up being a really, really good major league player. And another guy that's drafted in the first round, you know, the, there are 30 teams. So you have 30 first round picks uh, every year in the draft. And, and you, um, if you're not familiar with, with major league baseball, the odds of making it to the major leagues as a first round pick are, are not that good. They're not that, not as good as you would think they would be. So it's just, it's a very difficult sport to progress through, especially as you, you know, every level that you move up this pyramid sort of um, you are, uh, you know, you're, 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 you're getting rid of, of some, you're leaving behind people who aren't quite at your skill level and seeing just more, uh, consistent and better competition every day. And it's, uh, it's, it's fun and exciting to see like who really comes out of that and, and who kind of fights their way through and gets to the major leagues. And, and again, sometimes you have, there used to be 40 rounds of the draft. So you can imagine 40 times 30, how many guys are getting drafted every year. And sometimes there'll be guys that are drafted in, you know, the 30th round or later that make it to the major leagues and guys that are drafted in the first and second round that don't. Um, that's just, that's, um, I think that it really, one of the cool things about baseball is that is just that you, um, you can never really say that there's a can't miss prospect and you can never really say that there's someone who, um, you know, who got drafted late and doesn't have a shot because they could just continue to progress and get better and, and, and turn themselves into a prospect. But in terms of how many prospects you'd have, um, I guess overall in the system and maybe includes the, the top end the major league players in this, how many players would a team say the pirates, for example, have within their organization and then within the affiliate organizations as part of that system? What, what number are we looking at? Um, I don't know what the roster limits are for minor league teams, but I'm guessing it's somewhere from 25 to 30. So uh, again, looking at the, the pirates minor league system, um, they've got two, three, four, five, six. They've got six minor league teams this year, and each of those six teams is going to have somewhere in the ballpark of 25 to 30 players, um, as well as a, a 25-man roster um, uh, for the major league team. So there's a lot. There's a um, it's it's very difficult to get a chance to play professional baseball. But then you've you can imagine when you're on that lower level. You know, just say that you're a catcher, for example, 
uh, you know, pitchers are a little different because there are a lot of, a lot of pitchers on each team, but say, for example, you're a catcher and the major league team has got a catcher who's pretty good and is probably going to be the major league catcher for the next five to 10 years, you know, depending on what organization a guy's in or how good the catcher is. There are only two catchers on the major league roster at any particular time. And just say you get drafted and you're on that lowest team. I mean, you've got to outperform, you know, five catchers that are all at higher levels than, well, there are two to three catchers on each team and maybe five teams that are higher ranked than you. So for you to make it from that lowest team to the major league team, you have to jump and outperform all of those other guys that are at those lower, those minor league levels ahead of you. And then you've also got the incumbent who is at the major league level, who again, might be uh, sometimes you don't, you see a, a good catcher who's on a major league team for again, anywhere from, you know, three to 10 years or, or longer. Um, and you've got to find a way to beat out one of those two guys on the major league team as well. So it, it's a, there's a, there's a lot of, there's, there's a lot, there's a lot of traffic. It's a, it's a real traffic jam at the lower levels, especially, and there's more movement down there. And as you continue to progress up the ladder, it just gets, it gets harder and harder because you have other guys that have sort of been sitting there waiting for their opportunity or other guys that are, that have established themselves as good major league players who you're trying to, um, you know, you're trying to, to beat out for playing time. And we'll come on to maybe the, the differences between positions and players in a moment, because I think it is quite fascinating to see some of the differences. But in terms of maybe your experience, both from a coaching capacity, uh, capacity and then a scouting capacity, those players that maybe are able to make the next step more consistently, and that might not be getting to the majors, because as you said, the, you know, the chance of that are so small with the number of players in the system. For those players that are able to make the jump from, you know, one system to the next, college into next or whatever that looks like, is there any common threads that you can see between those individuals that you say that is some level of, with some level of certainty, which is difficult to think, but with some level of certainty, they need that characteristic to have some level of progression within their career? Yeah, I, I, I think that there are some, and I was just talking about this recently. So on the Figured Out Baseball website that I have, uh, we have a, a podcast actually coming out the day that we're, you and I are recording this, Michael, this, uh, that podcast is with um, the guy, I think his title is the National Scouting Supervisor for, for, a, for a major league organization. But he and I talked about something similar um, because, you know, I wanted to get his opinion. He's at a much higher level of scouting than I am. Um, but, but even on the college side of things, the, the college coaching side of things, it, it is, as far as qualities that I, that I think help players to be successful. And I don't know if this is like this in other sports or not. I think that it probably is to a large part, but in my opinion, honestly, um, confidence and, and, and belief in yourself play as big of a role as anything in baseball. And, uh, and as far as being able to predict or project someone to, um, to continue to progress because baseball is such a game of failure. Uh, and, and, and any, any of your listeners that are familiar with baseball know that that's just sort of a, a term that's, that's thrown on a lot, thrown on a lot in baseball is that it's a game of failure, you know, hitters, um, just say the college level are going to have a batting average. The best college players in the country are going to have a batting average of 400, which just means they're, they're going to average getting four hits in 10 at bats. Um, 
you're still getting out six out of ten six out of ten times that you that you come to the plate for an at bat and 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 guys will go into slumps where you know for for weeks at a time they're hitting below what their average may be you know maybe they're only getting two hits and ten at bats or whatever it may be so there's 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 so much failure in baseball and every time you move up a level whether you go from high school to college college to professional and then you know once you're in pro ball as you sort of move up levels there are new challenges at every level um the guys that i've seen that have that have continued to succeed are guys that just never doubt themselves they they never doubt themselves they never doubt their skills um, you know, put yourself in this situation. So just say in high school, you know, it's not uncommon for, for guys uh, again, just kind of dealing with batting average, batting average is the average of, you know, how many hits you get per at bat. Right. So in high school, um, it's not uncommon for guys to get, to hit over 500. So you're, you're getting a hit, a base hit, uh, every other time that you come to the plate and then they go to college and their, their, their batting average might be as a freshman, in high school or a freshman in college might go down to like 300 a freshman that hits 300 in high school or i'm sorry a freshman in college that hits 300 is a is a very successful college hitter especially as a freshman but imagine that like as far as the failure rate goes you're failing an extra 40 percent of the time um uh, or, or 20 percent of the time i guess from high school to college that's that takes a big mental toll on guys um you know, a lot of, a lot of players get to college and they're, and they're doing well. And they're, they're, you know, they're having a pretty good amount of what a college coach would, uh, would say is a pretty good amount of success. Um, but they feel like they're failing a lot because they're not nearly as successful as they were in high school. Right. It's because it, it, as, as a, as a hitter in baseball, you, um, you feel like you failed if you don't get a hit, if you don't get on base. Um, so you feel like you're feeling a lot more. You you kind of I think a lot of players start to question their ability, or question their skills, or whatever it may be. You know, guys in the major leagues all the time will have one really bad season. You know, in the midst of a long, really good career, they have one season that's well below the others. And I, I truly believe that even at that level, sometimes guys start to believe their statistics to be reality. Does that, does that make sense? How I'm saying that? So they might look at the scoreboard. You know the uh, and, and the scoreboard tells them what all their statistics are, and you can't get away from that. And just say so the first month of your season is not going well, and you look up and see what your batting average is, and, and what your on base percentage is, or um, or your slugging percentage, or whatever. Uh, and then for a pitcher, maybe the pitcher has a couple bad outings, and they look up and see what their earned run average is, which is just that means you know how many runs you average giving up per nine innings, and they might see some really awful numbers up there, and you have to have a lot of self-confidence to say I'm better than that. You know, that's, this is just a, you know, a, a short period of time where I'm not performing as well as I'm capable of, but I'm a lot better than that. And to be able to come back from those times when things aren't going your way and, uh, and be able to come back and have a, a good amount of success, I think is, is difficult to do for players. And I, I'm, I fully believe that separates, um, players once they get to certain levels, because wherever, whatever level you're in, post high school so you go to college and, and usually you're going to be surrounded by a lot of other players that are, are very similar talent level very similar skills uh and i think same with pro ball once you get into professional baseball whatever level you you that you're at most people around you are very very similar talent wise that's why there are so many rounds of the baseball draft uh, and that's why you can never fully predict who is going to progress um 
because you are surrounded by guys that are all of a sudden the same skill level, the same talent level, you know, generally speaking. And um, I, I believe that the people who believe in themselves in the good times and the bad times, the people that never waver in their confidence, you know, people that are on the, on the verge of being cocky, um, not even so much in an outward way, but in an inward way, as far as their self-belief, I, I really think those are the people that, um, have the best predictor of future success. Um, and that's something that in our sport scouting goes more and more, um, toward the analytical side of things and, and just, you know, measuring everything and, um, you know, for, for pitchers, there are just crazy things that are out there that started in the golf world and now it's seeped into baseball where like everything that a pitcher does is measured, right? From from their stride length, you know, down the pitcher's mound to, you know, the spin rate of the balls of the, you know, every pitch that they throw um, and, and everything else, everything else that you can imagine is, is measured. But like, it's not, that's not a 100% predictor of success you know what i mean the two people can have the exact same metrics exact same measurements but they're not going to have the same amount of success on the mound um and i and i think a lot of that really comes back to i mean there's a lot of things to it with pitchers for sure uh, but i believe the people that have sustained success and the people that are going to progress and get to the next level and and be able to have success beyond where they are and, and continue to progress are the guys that just i, I you know i think believe in themselves and believe that um even when other people don't believe in them or even their statistics say that they're that they're slipping or they're not as good as they were or they're having a a bad year and, and other people might start to say well like what's changed maybe his skills have, have diminished and i think it takes a really special player to be able to believe that they can continue to have success and you know the guys that have sustained success in the major leagues a lot of times their skills do change uh but they still find a way to have success even with without as a pitcher without the premium velocity they had, you know, at 25 when they turned 35 or, or a hitter that maybe doesn't have the same speed or, uh, or, or whatever, as he kind of gets older too. So, uh, and that's a long way to answer to your question, but hopefully that was. I think from my perspective, what's probably interesting is what you said around the batting averages side. I was Googling as you were talking then and Barry Bonds, I think is two nine eight Bryce Harper's two seven nine. I think it was, which shows you, probably two of the high, you know, high performers, if you like, in Major League Baseball and what their averages actually look like. I guess from a scouting perspective, how do you, how do you judge if someone's ready to make that next jump or that next step and whether they have the skills to be able to do that? Yeah, so on the, you know, I, I don't uh, deal a lot on the professional side of things. So I, I want to make sure that I speak with things that I'm familiar with, but you know, I have spoken with on my own, again, my own podcast with figure out baseball. I talked to a lot of minor league coaches there who, you know, her, who are coaching these guys that are in the farm systems and, and getting promoted. And I, I know that within uh, professional organizations, usually the guys that are getting promoted outside of, the guys that sign for the giant bonuses, the, you know, usually first rounders and second rounders, those guys usually get promoted pretty regularly, almost no matter what their success level has been. But, um, you know, because they've been paying so much money and, and they're usually going to get pushed and, and see what happens and see if they can perform at the next level. But outside of those guys, Michael, um, 
usually in professional baseball, you have to show that you have, for lack of a better term, that, that you have mastered the level that you're at and you're not so much getting challenged by that level anymore. When that level is not a challenge for you anymore, then it's time to get promoted. You know, sometimes other things happen and, and guys will get hurt, right? That's that's a, a lot of times, like it's funny in, in baseball that a lot of guys get their opportunity when someone else gets injured uh, and, and someone else, you know, you someone else gets promoted to take their place and, and all of a sudden that guy will sort of take off and, and never, you know, give that job up again. That happens at every level of baseball. Um, all the way up to major league baseball but but yeah typically in within the minor league system guys have to show that they're not being challenged by their current level anymore and then it's time for them to be promoted and, you know again a lot of times it's, it's it happens because there is an opening someone at a higher level either gets hurt or, or they get promoted or someone gets traded or whatever it is and i think the conversation in the organization is you know who at the lower level is ready and i think a lot of times that that, that conversation ends with well you know, this person is sort of, is sort of dominating this level is sort of mastering and, and, and they need a new challenge. So let's, let's promote them and see what happens and, and see how they do at the next level. Um, you know, in, in high school baseball as a college scout, which is where most of my background, more of my background is and, and uh, you know, where I was much more hands-on with creating a college roster. Like I was a recruiting coordinator at, at three different colleges, meaning it was my primary job to recruit high school players uh, into college and and decide who you know, to, you know decide on scholarship offers and, and things of that nature and, and just you know create the roster from year to year, put the roster together. Um, you know, for me it was a lot of the same things. Uh, you know, I tried to see hitters as an example against higher level pitching and, and how they fared against them. Uh, you know, and statistics really don't mean a whole lot to me at that level. At the high school level, it's because you could face. You know, if you play four games in a week, you might face bad pitching three of those four games. It's the one game against better pitching, higher, comp, you know, higher quality, higher levels of competition uh, that means the most. And, and if you as a hitter or as a pitcher, you know, when you're facing better competition, the more sort of at ease or comfortable you look or, or the more that you feel like you, you seem like you belong um, at that level, then I think that that's, that's what really is sort of the, uh, the key factor to deciding how high of a level a high school player can, can play in college, because there's a lot of different levels of college athletics here as well. Um, in all sports, you know, baseball included. And, uh, so just for example, if I, uh, uh, the scouting that I'll do this spring, I will go watch a, a hitter in my area that I want to see on a day when I know he's going to face a pitcher who, you know, is one of the better pitchers in our area. And I want to see what kind of a bats that hair takes against a pitcher who maybe has already committed to going to a certain level of college or someone that I know will be going to a certain level of college. And, uh, you know, how that, how, what the quality of the bats are for the hitter in that situation or what tell me whether or not, you know, that hitter can compete at that level on a day-to-day -day basis. Now, one of the reasons that baseball is also a very hard sport is because there is so much failure. It is very possible for me to show up on a day, um, you know, when a, when a hitter is facing a really good pitcher and the hitter is going to go 0 for 4, meaning no hits in four bats and look pretty bad in four bats. And, and he might head, end up having a really great career, but I just kind of saw him on a bad day. There's just, you know, sometimes pitchers just kind of get the best of hitters um, and, and vice versa. Sometimes a pitcher you know, the hard thing about evaluating a pitcher is that a, a pitcher can make a really good pitch 
you know, in a good location with good movement and a hitter can still get a hit. So, uh, you know, you, you don't, it's, it's not guaranteed success with, with either, uh, pitchers, catchers, defenders, you know, defense, the defense is a little easier to see and to scout because that's sort of something that shows up every day, kind of the same as speed. You either, you know, you're either fast or you're not on, on defense, you know, better defenders will, will make, you know, will make 95 out of a hundred plays, right. They'll make those plays clean. So those are a little easier, but the hitting and pitching, there's so much failure on both sides of that. It's harder to scout. Um, you know, so I think you evaluate hitters and pitchers a little bit differently, but on the, on the hitting side of things, it, it really is about how the, the quality of the hitters at bats against better level pitching. And, and typically Michael, you've got to see, I think most college scouts will want to see a hitter minimum two to three games before they make a decision on him. Um, because you want to see him, you kind of want to see players good and bad, you know, going back to the confidence thing and, and kind of how players react to failure it is a big part of scouting players. Um, if a hitter, for example, has a bad day, maybe has the first three at bats of the game are, are pretty bad. You want to see how that player reacts after that at bat, you know, when they go back into the dugout with their team between, between innings, when they're not on defense, are they throwing equipment around? Are they pouting in the corner or, you know, are, are they, do they kind of take a minute and, and sort of process that at bat and then go cheer for a teammate, you know, or if the next hitter behind them hits a double and two runs score, like are they going up and, and high-fiving their teammates or are, are they, you know, selfish and kind of sitting in the dugout sulking and not really, you know, being a part of the team. And those things I think are really big indicators too, uh, as far as, you know, what's going to lead players to be successful at the next level. Um, and in terms of in terms of if you're looking at um, batters or, or pitchers, is there certain things that you think transfer easier? So, for example, if you saw a pitcher who has a lot of movement in his pitches, able to throw, you know, a good cut, a good curve ball, good change up, but maybe doesn't have the velocity that you think actually someone of a minor league player needs that and he doesn't, does that become a red flag or equally with, with your batters if they, you know, maybe they have um, a lot of power at the moment but don't have quite what you perceive good enough bat speed? Is that a red flag for you on that side as well? Great question uh, and a hard one to answer, but I, I'm glad you asked because I think it's an important part of if you're talking about evaluating players, those are, those are questions that I think every coach asks and I, I think uh, – different organizations, college or pro or, or whatever it is, I think they ask those exact same questions. And, and the best way that I could answer it is I think there's sort of a sliding scale. Um, pitchers eventually have to be able to command their pitches, meaning they have to be able to throw the ball where they want to. It doesn't matter at the highest level, at the major league level, it doesn't matter how good your stuff is, meaning how sharp your curveball, your slider is, you know, how, how, how hard you throw. Uh, they talk about spin rate in baseball because spin rate on a baseball dictates how much that baseball moves or doesn't move. Um, eventually it doesn't matter how good all those measurable things are or how tight pitches are or how hard you throw if you don't throw the ball where you want it eventually you're going to face hitters that are good enough that you know really a sharp pitch that moves a lot but ends up being sort of in the center of the plate is going to get hit a lot 
So that's, uh, I, I really don't know that anybody has the exact answer to that on the scouting side of things, but uh, in my opinion, there has to be some level of both. So just say for an example, there was a pitcher who threw exceptionally hard, you know, one of the hardest throwers, um, you know, that, that you've seen at the amateur level and you're scouting him and trying to figure out whether or not you should draft him for that player to be a first round draft pick. There have to be some other things that come along with it. I think, um, you know, a, a certain size for pitchers, especially a certain size of player is, is optimal. I think pitchers that are between six foot two and six foot four uh, are probably uh, like the, what maybe people will call the ideal height, maybe six foot five, um, something like that. People like big, you know, durable bodies for pitchers. A guy that throws really hard, but is only like five foot 10, people are going to tend to think that that guy's going to have a much higher chance of getting hurt. Now, whether that's true or not, I don't know. Uh, but that's what, that's kind of the, the way that I think scouts look at, at pitchers. Sort of the more he's, the more big and physical he is, the people think the better, the more durable his body will be during the very long baseball season. Um, it, for me as a scout, I wanted to see a combination of everything. And, and to me, there's sort of like a, 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 a high, a low watermark for velocity. So for example, I think every level of baseball sort of thinks to be successful at my level, there needs to be at least this velocity, anything below that velocity is probably not going to work, but even that is a little bit, uh, it fluctuates a little bit based on how good the rest of the arsenal is. Right. So, so the more movement a pitcher has, the more command that he has, the more he can really be exact, um, you know, with a pitch. So just a, a thing that people say is in baseball is that, you know, this guy can really, he can throw it into a coffee can. Meaning like if you, if you have a coffee can, that's this big, if a pitcher can throw it in that exact location, every time that he, wherever that, you know, wherever the catcher sets up and wants to pitch a pitcher that can throw it exactly where he wants, doesn't need to throw as hard as a guy that doesn't know where his pitches are going. Uh, a pitcher that has more movement on his pitches doesn't necessarily need to be as exact with his location to have success, uh, especially if he throws hard. So there's, there's all these sort of factors that like the more he has on this side, the less he needs over here to have some success, you know, the, the, the best pitchers at any level, the best college pitchers at, at, at any level, the best pro pitchers at the major league level, or even at any particular level of minor leagues, you know, they're going to have a great combination of all of those things. Um, but to me, I guess the, 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 a couple of indicators on the pitching side of things, um, I, people think there are certain things you can't necessarily teach in velocity is one of those velocity gets a lot of attention from pitchers, um, on the amateur scouting side of things. Again, whether you're scouting for a college or scouting for a pro organization, velocity turns heads, velocity turns heads more so than good spin rates or sharp sliders. Because if you're familiar with baseball, you know, if you, um, if you're, if your fastball tops out at 85, no matter how good your spin is on your curveball, your slider or whatever, it's not going to be as sharp as if you threw 95, right? If you throw 95 miles an hour, um, your stuff is automatically better because, uh, if with the same spin rate by, by increasing velocity, it just becomes harder to hit. It's harder to time up for, for hitters. So velocity is certainly something <clears throat> that, um, that turns heads. And I think the second thing uh, below that, I think is kind of equal command of your pitches and the quality of your stuff. Um, and again, people in baseball, what that means is quality of the stuff. It just, it means how good of movement you have on your pitches, the more movement you can create, obviously the harder it is to hit um, on the hitting side of things. The one skill that, um, that I always looked for as a scout and still do 
to me, it doesn't matter if you're scouting profession for a professional team or a college team. The one skill that stands out to me, well, two, I'll say two skills. Um, number one is maybe is one that doesn't seem like it makes maybe as much sense as someone on the outside, but pitch recognition, you know, being able to recognize pitches and being able to, to make decision decisions to swing at the right pitch and to lay off of the wrong pitch. So for example, if I'm a good fastball hitter, I not only want to pick out fastballs to hit and lay off of other pitches when I can, but I also only want to swing at pitches in very specific locations. And the more often I can do that, the better success I'm going to have. You know, if you have a 17 or 18 year old who swings at everything, anything close, that guy's eventually going to have trouble because as the pitching gets better and better and you start swinging at, at, at balls that are, you know, pitches that are off the plate, you know, left, right, up and down, um, inside, outside, <clears throat> you're going to have a, a lot more trouble. So, so a hitter that um, can recognize pitches and, and can just, it's very selective in what they swing at, I think is a huge, um, a huge factor in being able to, uh, to have success at the next level. And then just a very simple thing of the skill of being able to get the bat to the ball, you know, hand-eye coordination and, and what I would call barrel control. So the barrel is the fat part of the bat, the part of the bat you want to hit the ball with. And, and I think the ability to hit the bat or hit the ball on the sweet spot of the bat on a very, very consistent basis is a huge indicator of success. So a hitter that swings and misses a lot, for example, was always a red flag to me and something that, you know, early on in my scouting days, you know, one of my head coaches that I was an assistant under, um, you know, kind of indicated that to me and, and, and uh, you know, said, I don't like guys that swing and miss. So I want you to kind of keep track of that. Well, it's something I always did and still do. The more a hitter swings and misses at, at, at whatever level he's currently at, chances are he's going to swing them as a lot more at the next level up, right? That's not always the case. This is where, again, baseball is a funny sport because there are some guys that seem to swing and miss the same when they were in college as they do in pro ball, and it's just kind of always the same at every level or really similar. But but other guys, the vast majority of hitters um, swing and miss more at every level that they that they move up. So you really want to find guys that don't swing and miss. You want to find guys that very consistently are hitting the ball on the barrel and, and like, for example, you kind of mentioned power. Power is something that I think can come over time um, for, for most hitters as they just, as they physically mature, as they get in the weight room, you know, on a consistent basis, they're going to add strength every year that they're playing. They should add more strength and eventually home runs can come. Now, I do think that the kids, and I'll say kids, you know, kids that are 15, 16 years old that have like professional level power at that level, that may be something that you're not going to be able to teach a guy or you, you guys may not develop that skill to that level, to that extreme um, over time, just by being in the weight room and things like that. I think that there are certain types of hitters that just have an innate ability to hit for power and, um, and, uh, and, and you may not be able to, to teach that to guys, but I think the more predictable skill to uh, that's going to translate from one level to the other is the ability to get the barrel on the ball consistently. Again, what I would call barrel control um, and just being able to very consistently swing at pitches that um, be selective with what pitches you swing at and be able to very consistently make contact on the, on the good part of the bat and square the, what we, we call square the ball up in baseball, you know, hit it, hit it, hit it square so that you're, you're hitting, you know, pretty hard, hard line drives on a consistent basis. Uh, I've got two questions off the back of that. First one, which is in terms of the recognition side, how much of that is anticipation in terms of 
having an understanding of what may be coming, so where you are in account, how that may then affect the picture. For example, you know, if, if you're up two and one or down for three and one, what that actually looks like, your ability for them to maybe chuck curveballs or sliders and stuff at you to where actually they have to hit the strike zone, otherwise they're going to walk you. How much of it is that? And how much of it is an actual tangible skill that people are able to develop where they can take more at bats and visually recognize, well, this is what, you know, an up zone slider looks like, or this is what a fastball on the outside of the zone looks like. How much of it is between those two areas? Another really good question. Um, and also something that I've asked on the podcast that I have uh, when I bring on players, you know, I was never that good of a player. So it's interesting to me to talk to players that are a lot more skilled than me and kind of ask them and those, those types of things and how, how they, you know, handle their at bats. Um, so, so in baseball, we would call it guessing if you want, if you're going to be a guess hitter, so you, every pitch, you know, based on a lot of data or, or knowledge that you have on a pitcher from facing him in the past or what you've seen him do in, in video to other hitter, hitters similar to you, you can have a, in, in some instances, have a pretty good idea of what a pitcher is going to throw in different situations. And, and you can sort of, again, what we would term sit on a pitch. So I might sit on a fastball in this count. I might sit on a curveball in this count. I might sit on a changeup in this count. And, and even there, you might be right 60% of the time, 70% of the time, but but that's there's still large room for error there. So it's a very dangerous thing to start guessing pitches uh, and to start sitting on certain pitches in different scenarios. Um, but I do think that anticipating um, is the is a better way to put it, like you said, and um, um, anticipating certain pitches in certain counts. But as far as and, and that's a good way to be an, an aggressive hitter in a good way, you know, to be ready for a certain pitch. And when you get it to be able to be on time and, and to hit it hard somewhere and do some damage um, as opposed to just completely reacting, right? You don't want to be completely reactionary in most situations. You, you want to try to have an idea what's coming or at least be ready for a certain pitch or just have a plan. So in baseball, we call it having an approach. Uh, and an approach for most hitters in most situations is that they're going to look for a fastball. And when they get a fastball, they're going to hit it because fastballs are primarily the easiest pitch to hit and the pitch that guys would rather hit than a good slider or a good curveball, uh, again, off of most pitchers. Um, so that's kind of a, a general, you know, a general approach for hitters that they're, they're going to look for a fastball. And when they get it, they're going to swing at it and they're going to try, you know, do their best to, to hit it hard somewhere and not have to get into account where they have to see something else or they have to try to hit uh, the other, the pitcher's best, you know, best pitch, whether it be a curveball, slider, uh, change up split or whatever it may be. Um, but I, when I've talked to some hitters at really high levels before and asked them this sort of question to you and I, we would watch major league baseball. And if you've ever stood in, even on a pitching machine, throwing the ball 90 plus miles an hour, like there's no reaction time. It's gross how, how little reaction time there is. Um, but the average major league, uh, the average vision of a, the, I'm sorry, the, the, the vision of the average major, major leaguer is like 2013, 2014, somewhere in that ballpark, 2012. Um, so they have way better vision than you and I do. And then I think most people do. I have 2020 vision. You know, I don't wear glasses or contacts and, and I still can't see 
you know, spin on the baseball and still can't recognize pitches as well as, as uh, you know, guys that most hitters at, at that level just have really superior eyesight to the rest of the population. And, and when I've asked this sort of question to other, uh, to major leaguers, they, they'll tell me that they're able to recognize pitches, meaning that they're, you know, out of the, out of the pitcher's hand, based on the shape and the movement and, and whatever else and, and how the ball comes out of the pitcher's hand, they're able to recognize what pitch it is. And, and they might get fooled a little bit in a lot of instances. Sometimes they're certainly going to swing and miss and get fooled, but other times they're able to recognize it enough to at least like foul it off when they have two strikes and not strike out um, or be able to recognize, you know, a curveball, for example, uh, that starts, that, that's going to break into the strike zone and be a good pitch to hit. They're able to recognize that early enough, even though the ball maybe started out of the strike zone high or isn't necessarily the pitch that they wanted to hit coming into the bat. They wanted a, a they wanted a fastball, but they get you know a curveball that's good pitch to hit, and they're still able to you know pull the trigger, put a good swing on it, and hit it. So there's certainly a mix. Um, I think there needs to be a, a mix of both. I think hitters need to anticipate what pitch is coming to really have the best outcome to the at bat. You know, if you go too far to that side and you're absolutely guessing and, and uh, you know, selling out to one particular pitch, you're going to have a real hard time having any success. But on the other hand, if you're totally reactionary, I, I don't know that you'll have um, the type of success that you would like to either, uh, because I don't think I think that the anticipation of certain pitches and, and where you'd like to hit the ball, generally speaking, in the field plays a big part in, um, you know, being able to hit a lot of extra base hits, a lot of doubles and home runs, I think is is that is sort of anticipating one. Uh, particular pitch in particular situations. Before I go into the pitching side, just on that, um, do, do the clubs collate that information? So would they look at someone's vision and go, oh, this might be an area that maybe they need laser eye surgery or he's got a particular strength for that? Is that something that they actually test so that you know it might increase the chances of them hitting on a player or not really? I should know that. <laughs> I don't know if major league teams do that. Um, I know in the college side, you know, we don't have the time or the ability to do that before they get on campus and, and just, you know, way that you, so to me, when I'm scouting, I don't have, you know, any tools to be able to measure that with anybody, but what I will do is primarily, as I said earlier, I'm looking for hitters, um, who, who swing at certain pitches and certain counts and lay off of other pitches. So like one note that I'll make on a consistent basis is, so a slider, for example, if you're not a, uh, it, it seems like Michael, you've got a good, a good handle on this, but if some of your listeners don't, if, if a slider, a slider is a pitch that's going to be pretty sharp uh, and, and you know, nearly as hard as a fastball. And it's going to break, you know, not as much as a curveball, but it's going to break pretty sharp. So basically a slider looks like a fastball for, 70 or 80 percent of the way it's traveling to the plate and then sort of the last minute you know it, it sort of dives off the plate i can primarily see if a if a hitter has good vision by how they react to that pitch that's why i want to go see a hitter against a good pitcher because if a, if a pitcher throws a slider that he wants so a slider that starts like on the outside corner and it looks like a strike for 80 percent of the time then it breaks off the plate for a ball and that hitter is able to lay off of that pitch and not swing at it especially if you see it happen more than once, sometimes guys get fooled and you don't know for sure. Um, but if you see that happen more than once, then you get a pretty good idea. This player's seeing that pitch. He's seeing that it's a slider. He's recognizing it. He's laying off of it. And that tells me that he's got good enough vision to at least see the pitching that he's seen that day. You know, whether he's got good enough vision to see that at the next level and the velocity gets better, it's hard to tell. Um, on the other hand, if he's swinging at that pitch a lot, he can't see it. 
you know, there was a, there was one player I scouted several years ago um, that was at the division three level who was putting up, you know, like all world type numbers. He was an all American, I, I think uh, uh, first team all American with the, the numbers that he was putting up, but I went to see him and, and that it was exactly what we're talking about right now. When he saw fastballs, he, he, he pounded them, you know, he, uh, he punished guys for throwing fastballs. Uh, he was a big, you know, big, strong physical kid, but if, a, if even pitchers that threw, you know, below average velocity at the pro level, when, when he was seeing those types of pitchers, he could not lay off of a good curveball, a good slider. He was swinging at him uh, in the dirt, you know, swinging at him when they, when they uh, started on the plate and broke off the plate, he was swinging every time. And I just, I talked to his coach afterward and just said, like, he can't see a slider. I can't, can't possibly turn his name in to get drafted to play professional ball. Cause it's all at that point, that's all he would see. You know, he would see sliders every at bat and, and he would, <laughs> he would never get a hit. So to me, that told me that his vision probably wasn't very good. And, and that's the best way that, uh, that I'd be able to recognize that. I, I do believe that uh, major league organizations are probably doing something on that side. I know that they do tests that I'm not aware of for players. They do like personality tests for guys, especially guys that are going to get drafted higher and paid more money. And I'm assuming that they do some sort of vision test with them at some point as well. Um, uh, or, or it might even be something where, you know, players are asked, players are asked to fill out some information before they get drafted by organizations. And that might be part of that, which again, I, I don't, I wish I was more familiar with that, but I'm not. Um, but at some point, I'm sure that that's a big part of it because I think, you know, most organizations know that without a certain, if your vision's not at a certain level, you're just, you're going to have a really hard time as the pitching gets better. Makes sense. And then on the, on the pitching front, um, I guess velocity is something that can be directly affected by, I'd imagine, age, potentially. The older you get, the more you're going to struggle to keep throwing that. Also, wear and tear on your body in terms of, you know, there's only so so much torque you can put through the elbow before it gives up. Do the individuals that um, maybe have average velocity, so the, the power or the speed they're able to put the ball is average, with a lot of other caveats around it, of cutters, sliders, curveballs and stuff, stay in the league for longer than those guys that have just got a fastball and that maybe as they get a bit older and that fastball slows down, they don't have other tools that they're able to utilise to keep them in innings or keep them in in, um, in, in the major leagues, et cetera, or minor leagues? Yeah, yeah. Um, it's... It's, it's really, and uh, I, I think it, something that I wish more people paid attention to, you know, because velocity is like the, that's like the thing that every young kid out there is striving for in the baseball world, training, uh, you know, teenagers, 14 through 18 year olds. It's like, that's all they're focused on on the pitching side of things is velocity, 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 and velocity gets you noticed. But, but no, velocity does not sustain success as much as other things. So guys that you would see in the major leagues that are going to have good long careers, you know, the guys that sustain velocity, I think, can remain at the upper echelon of, of the pitching world for a long time. Um, you know, some of the best pitchers in the game today, uh, like Max Scherzer and Jacob deGrom and Garrett Cole, those are guys who have been in the league for a long time that, that have maintained velocity as they've gone. But other guys are able to have good long sustained careers as you said, as their velocity decreases, I think they just get smarter as far as being able to pitch. You know, pitching is um, is is a bit of a loss. I think there's a lot of guys that just throw now as opposed to pitch. 
and, and there's um and that might that might seem odd to people that are listening to this that aren't really familiar with uh too familiar with baseball but uh guys that throw really hard and don't necessarily command their pitches, right? They're just kind of throwing as hard as they can and, and hope it goes somewhere over the strike zone. It doesn't really matter what part of the strike zone they're in because they're throwing really hard and, and um, you know, their, their, their pitches have a lot of movement to them, but they're not necessarily locating them exactly where they want. Those guys will be able to have success for a while, but major league hitters are so good that I think that they will adjust over time to pitchers and being able be able to um, to do enough damage to pitchers where it's just not going to be sustained. The guys that have long careers that pitch, you know, the average I, this is a guess, but the average major leaguer is probably 26 years old, 25 years old. Um, I'm 37, and I I know that my 37 year old body doesn't feel like my 27 year old body. I can't imagine you know playing a professional sport every day. Uh, but the guys that pitch into their late 30s and beyond are guys that I. I I think do they 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 not only develop a good arsenal of pitches a, a deeper arsenal they're able to throw three four or five pitches for strikes um, and pitches that look different than one another that move different than one another that have different they have, they have a varying velocities you know they might have one um, you know different their, their fastballs are are at this level and their slider and changeup are at this level and they have a curveball at that level so they're able to change velocity on several different levels. Um, I think are able to sustain success and, uh, uh, and just really it, I, to me at that point, it comes down to location for, for guys, for, for pitchers to stay in the league for a long time, almost no matter how good their stuff is, they need to eventually locate pitches because hitters are too good. They have too much information. They have too much video on, on guys. Uh, and they, they say like one of the terms in baseball is like the league adjusts. So it's not uncommon in, in, in Major League Baseball for a guy to have a lot of success his rookie year, then his second year have, have a little bit of a setback because the league adjusts, whether it's a pitcher or a hitter. There's enough information out there that, like, this is how we can have success against this guy that the league adjusts. And you've got to be able to punch back, whether you're, again, you're a pitcher or a hitter, to be able to have uh, sustained success. So the guys that have the good long careers, they absolutely have a combination of you know usually velocity at least for a while but again that can go away and there are plenty of guys that don't throw very hard in the major leagues but the only guys that don't throw hard in the major leagues are the guys that have been in the league for a long time uh and the guys that i think really locate their pitches they're able to throw any pitch they want in any count uh for a called strike for a swinging strike they're able to um what they call add and subtract from pitches. So they might be able to throw the same pitch at several different velocities, kind of depending on what they think and get the hitter out or get the hitter off balance. So I hope that answers your question, but, but, but no, no question that um, velocity will get you noticed and will in many, many instances get you to the major leagues, but you could throw the ball hundred miles an hour, uh, you know, and, and be one of the hardest throwers in the league. But if you don't have, if you don't have or develop the ability to uh, to locate your pitches and throw at least one other pitch that is good enough to get major league hitters out, you're, you're not going to last. It's not going to happen for you. Yeah, no, that makes complete sense. And I guess the last question for me on this is how would you potentially project individuals that might be able to play other positions? So if you look at outfielders, for example, um, you mentioned earlier around someone maybe finding that level too easy um, and they need to be stretched. But obviously the movement pattern of an outfielder 
it'd be very different to what you need for a first baseman or a shortstop. So how do you manufacture that in terms of if you've got an individual, like you mentioned with the catcher example, which is a really, really good one, or someone who maybe is progressing really, really, really well in a certain position, but you've already got a star in that position or a starter that you know is one of your top players, how do you then go, okay, he might not be able to fit there, but he's got a skill set that we can utilise elsewhere. And are there positions where that's easier to interchange than others? Oh, absolutely. At, at lower, at amateur levels in high school, for example, usually your best players are going to be in the middle of the field. So your better, your best defensive players are going to be uh, probably at the catching position, shortstop or center field. Sometimes you can work second base into that. And because I think those, those positions are the highest skill level defensive positions on the field um, usually and require the most athleticism, um, you know, generally speaking, when guys change positions, they go from the middle of the field to a corner of the field, uh, which is a, a you know in, a much easier progression. Just as an example, not many people in the history of baseball have moved from being a first baseman to being a shortstop if they're assuming they're a right-handed thrower. You know, not many guys go from um, you know corner outfield, left and right field positions to center field. That that may happen a little more often, but you know, very very rarely will a guy move from third base to shortstop, you know, occasionally. Um, so typically as guys go from high school baseball to college baseball and then into pro baseball and they move different levels throughout pro baseball, they're usually moving from those higher skill positions to the lower skill positions. Um, and I don't want to say those positions aren't skillful, but just for an example, a shortstop compared to a third baseman, um, a shortstop, usually it's going to be a better runner uh, because he's got to cover more ground uh, than a third baseman does. A shortstop is typically going to, typically going to uh, be, be rangier, meaning he's going to have more range. He's going to be able to go further up the middle and still get an out, go further toward the third base, uh, you know, the left field line and still get an out. Whereas a third baseman is still going to have a good first step, meaning they take um, uh, a first step that's going to put them in a good position to get a good hop, to be able to field the ball and make the throw to first, but they, they probably won't have as much range as the shortstop does probably won't be as good of a runner as the shortstop is generally speaking. Um, you know, but also generally speaking, like a shortstop and a third baseman need more arm strength than a second baseman does. So in high school, just say a guy's playing shortstop because he's the best player on his high school team. He's the best athlete on his high school team. He's the one that's clearly going to go to the highest level of college, you know, the odds of that player staying at shortstop are, are not great. Um, you know, typically, and, and you'd move him based on what the skill set looks like. So just say the guy played shortstop in high school, but he was six foot three, six foot four, and you feel like you might have a better option than him at shortstop, like you said, or, or, there, or there's someone that's already on the team that's a, a really good shortstop. And not to not to digress here, but but typically the typically the best nine hitters are going to find their way into the lineup, right? Typically, uh, sometimes you have one or two defensive positions that are important enough where even if a guy doesn't hit a lot, he can still play. But generally speaking, if you hit enough, the coaches are going to find a way for you to be in the lineup. So if you are the, a freshman shortstop on a high school team or you're the rookie on a major league team and there's already a guy who's established at shortstop, but you hit enough, you're a good enough hitter to be in the lineup. Typically, you'll get moved 
off of that position from a, from a, a more of a skilled position to a different position. And, and here's how, I, generally speaking, I think that would go. If a guy um, you know has a really good glove, maybe doesn't have quite the arm strength that you'd like to see at shortstop, then you know either move to second base or first base makes sense because you don't you're not making as far of throws. Um, you don't have to have as much arm strength to play those positions. If a player is like you know five foot ten. He's not probably not going to play first base because you want a, a, a you know a longer limbed rangier guy playing first base. So if a guy's five foot ten and he has to move from shortstop, you know second base is usually a natural progression for him. Uh, if a guy on the other hand is six foot three or four, first base is probably a natural progression for him. If a guy uh, you know generally speaking, if a guy um, you know could still move pretty well, but is is a little bit of a maybe a, a bulkier guy or is sort of a power hitter who doesn't, you know, maybe have uh, the flat out foot speed or range that you'd like to see at shortstop or, or, or whatever. A lot of times that's a, a natural progression for him to go to third base. To me, and I think this is accurate, you know, with a lot of levels, but um, I think the best defensive teams have shortstops all over the field. And, and what, I'm say, what I mean by that is that like, you know, a really good defensive team probably has guys that, a lot of guys that used to play shortstop and have been moved off that position for one reason or another. Um, you know, a third baseman might be somebody who's just really good at, um, at uh, compared to the shortstop, is really good at, at reading the first hop off the bat. I would argue that third base is one of the hardest positions on the field defensively because you, you get balls that are hit very hard at you, and you have to have a great first step to be able to make those plays. And a lot of times that is a decision to either make your first step back or your first step forward. And what you're trying to do in baseball is get a, a long hop, a big hop, as opposed to getting a, a you know ball that hits off the <clears throat> so a, a short hop is a ball that hits the ground and you're going to catch it usually within six inches or a foot of when it hit the ground right a long hop is when the ball is uh hits the ground and, and instead of being on its way up it's sort of on its at the top or or, uh, or on its way down and in between hop is a ball that's still rising but is further it hit the ball more than like a foot in front of where you're going to catch it does that make sense how i'm saying that a third a really good third baseman can read those um those hops and put himself in a position to get the hop that he wants to be able to consistently field the ball. So if a guy's got a great read off the bat and you have two shortstops that are pretty good players and one gets better reads off the bat than the other, and one makes better first steps than the other, that, that one guy might be a really good shortstop, but it seems like he's going to, you know, fare pretty well at third because he has those great reactions off the bat. So you put him at third a lot of times. Um, and then usually what makes a guy move from the infield to the outfield, which is another pretty natural progression. You see a lot of outfielders in the major leagues that once were shortstops, they were drafted as shortstops or they were shortstops even in the minor leagues, but now they're, you know, center fielders or left fielders or whatever. A lot of times that's just because their, their hands aren't good enough and they don't make consistent plays. You know, shortstops in the major leagues are, are crazy. They're the, the, uh, their fielding percentage, the number of, of plays they make cleanly out of a thousand, you know, that, that's what, uh, you know, most numbers in baseball are out of a thousand batting averages and fielding percentages. It's, you know, a guy might field 985 at shortstop. That means out of a thousand balls, he's making 15 errors. Uh, and that's crazy when you think of you got to catch it cleanly and then make the throw. So, you know, usually you guys are moving off of those positions because they just don't make plays as often at the pro level as they need to. Um, in, in college, I would just say that guys' hands are a little bit hard. They don't, they don't, uh, uh, they don't field ground balls as, on a, as regularly as you'd like to. They don't field them cleanly and, and, and able to make uh, plays consistently. But if that guy's still a good enough athlete and is a good enough hitter to be in the lineup, a lot of times that player will end up moving to the outfield uh, for that reason. Um, uh, again, it's hard. You don't often see guys move from the corner of the field to the middle of the field. It happens occasionally, but not much. 
Um, you don't see guys in the outfield move from, you know, from right or left field to center field very often. Usually it's the other direction. And a lot of times if a guy plays long enough, it's because he just, he's not quite as fast and they'll move from, from center field to the other positions because you don't need to cover as much ground there. Um, uh, you know, arm strength plays a lot too in the outfield of what position you play. Usually the, the best arm in the outfield is usually going to be in right field. The worst arm in the outfield is usually going to be in left. And, and, and most of that is honestly just because of throws to third base. You know, throws to home plate are basically the same distance no matter where you're playing, but throws to third base are a lot further from right field than they are from left. And um, so that's, I think, how often, how, how guys are often moved from one position to the other or how you sort of judge what position a guy can play. Um, you know, I've seen shortstops before that I watched them and just thought that guy, I think, could be a really good catcher, you know, for example, or um, which is a position I haven't really talked about much, but a catcher to me needs to have pretty good feet needs to have a short arm action, meaning when they throw, they, they can't have a really long arm circle to throw. They have to have a real short, real short arm circle as far as when they're throwing um, and have to have good arm strength uh, and, and be able to ha have pretty strong hands when they're receiving pitches. Um, and it's, it's just that, you know, most catchers are catchers all the way through their, uh, through, you know, amateur ball, uh, high school, little league, high school up to through college baseball. But occasionally you see a guy get moved to catcher, um, if he shows those types of skills and it, usually the catcher is like a hard nosed kind of guy. He's, he's tough. He's got to be back there a lot. He's going to get beat up because he's going to get pitches in the dirt that he's got to block. I think it takes a very certain type of mentality to be a catcher. So I think also, you know, if you were identifying someone playing another position and said, and you said, this person, I think is a chance to be a catcher. That's one of the attributes that you would look for is someone that's, that's pretty hard nosed and gritty and likes being dirty and doesn't mind getting beat up almost like a, again, American, American football type mentality. Like they're just, um, you know, they, they don't mind a little bit of, uh, uh, of, of, they don't mind the physicality of the position and maybe sort of enjoy that part of it. You know, guys will get moved away from catching the catching position elsewhere for a couple different reasons. The, the guy's a good enough hitter that you want him in the lineup every day. You know, in the major leagues, and even in college, uh, you know, guys don't usually catch every game generally speaking. It, it's, a, it's, a, it's a big toll on the body. So typically in a college game, uh, you, yeah, in the college world, you might play three games on a weekend, what they call a weekend series. Another team comes to your place, you go to another team, and you play three days in a row with the same team. You know, usually catchers will catch two out of three games, and, and usually the backup catchers catching one of those games. In the major leagues, typically you see catchers that are catching two to three days in a row, then they have a day off. Two to three days in a row, then a day off. Um, but if they're a good enough hitter where they need to be in the lineup every day, then that's when you start experimenting with other positions. Um, you know, I, I think a lot of catchers end up playing first base. There's, there are a lot of similarities there. Catchers that are really good athletes sometimes will get put into the outfield. You know, as a Pirate fan, there's a, a guy that played for the Pirates for a long time and then several other teams after the Pirates named Neil Walker. And Neil uh, was drafted as a catcher, but was a good enough offensive player and a good enough athlete where they decided to move him off of um, – off of out of the catching position and he played third base for a while and then eventually settled at second base and was a really good second baseman in the major leagues but he just showed that i think the skill set that, that, that second baseman need just really sure hands uh, and a very you know accurate throwing arm things like that so there, there's different things in every position for sure but those are some of the things i think that that scouts will tend to see from one position to uh, be able to make a determination that a player has the ability to at least try out another position and kind of see what happens but but there are definitely skills um, and, uh, and tools at each position that you look for um, when trying to evaluate and, and, and determine what position a, a player should ultimately play.
but it's funny how often, uh, you know, guys play the same position like their whole life. And I was just looking this morning at a Twitter, Twitter account of a guy that uh, uh, I, I, I met this guy recently and, and he played in the major leagues just for a couple of years. He wasn't a, you know, a real, maybe a real long career, maybe played for three to five years, six years, something like that. But he was a catcher. Uh, in the major leagues. And, and I saw his son is currently playing minor league baseball and his son's a catcher, but it's just, it's funny how that sort of happens a lot. Um, you know, that, that, that from like generation to the one generation to the next, it play, people will play the same positions um, or like just kids end up playing the same position, like a lot of their life. Like I said, catchers, you, you won't find many catchers at any level, college, pro, whatever, that haven't been catching their whole life. You don't have a lot of converted catchers or any converted any other positions. A lot of, you know, I'd say outfielder the most often players converted from elsewhere, but like you don't find a shortstop that hasn't been playing shortstop his whole life very often. Um, and catchers are kind of the same way. There are certain positions on the field that are like that. And how that determination is made when that kid's like eight, nine, 10 years old, I have no idea, but a lot of times it ends up, it ends up working out. Uh, it's a really interesting trend, and I think that um, it's one to consider with different sports how that looks. Is there similar trends at that, and maybe dig into the reasons why? Um, I'm conscious that we, we've, we're at the time we're allotted for this. So, last question for me. Obviously, at the moment, you're currently in a um, athlete um, evaluation role, if you like. So, who is um, the best individual you've worked alongside in this space, and why? the best athlete or the best individual? so the best evaluator in terms of coaches or other scouts or best evaluator one. yeah the best evaluator of talent oh of boy um i can't say me right no i'm just kidding no i think the best the best evaluator of talent that i have been around um well this is a really tough one and you can tell that that michael didn't prep me with this, these questions ahead of time um, you know, I, the, the pro scouts that I work with, I don't get to work as closely with them as I would like, but I, I think that the, uh, the one guy that I report to one of what was called an area scout, I think he's, he's very good, but you know, the college game is a game that I'm a lot more familiar with, um, and, and I just, I have a, a, a better, a longer track record at that level. Um, <clears throat> but a guy that I used to work for named Justin Schulte, uh, I, I just, I've all, I felt like, you know, he's always had a really good, he's, he's been able to read players better than any coach I've ever been around. So, so you kind of asked about earlier about like the different skills that you would see with a player that might, you know, project who's going to have real success. You know, when I, when I worked with him, he was the head coach on the team and I was the, the recruiting coordinator and, you know, I'd bring players that I thought physically could play. And, uh, and I think there's a lot of good, you know, good, good talent evaluators out there. Um, and, and some I've worked with and some I've worked beside, but I think he's the best I've ever seen as far as being able to like read a player, spend a couple hours with a player and be able to determine based on his personality, whether or not that player is going to be successful. And I still don't know how it's, it's not, it's not, I don't think something you can necessarily teach, but it's something that I think um, is, is, is innate for a lot of people is just being able to, to read players um, 
and their personalities and whether or not they're going to be able to have success at, at each at a, at a different level. So I know that's that I didn't mean to just avoid your question, but I he's one of the best I've seen just as far as because that that's you know anybody can go out to uh, uh, anybody can go out to an event with a radar gun and see how hard a pitcher's throwing or or be able to see like this this hitter got three hits today or whatever. You know, there's I think there are certain things to being able to be good at that. But I think that, um, you know, that skill of being able to read players in as far as how they're going to fit in your program and whether or not they're going to be able to have, uh, you know, every player, I think, in baseball has a ceiling. Probably every sport has a ceiling that you want to see them reach, right? They're, what their, their, their maximum physical capabilities will allow them to do. And a, and a coach's job is to coach them up and get them closer to their ceiling as opposed to their floor. And uh, he's been one of the best that I've seen as far maybe the best that I've seen as far as uh, being able to uh, read and evaluate players and determine what their career is going to look like at their college. And, and he's, he's extremely accurate with his readings and something that I, um, I think a lot of coaches wish they were better at. Yeah, that's a perfect answer. As, as I always say on this, I'm interested as to why, and I think that's a really interesting one, as you said, the why there to, help identify what the player ceiling could potentially be and how it fits with the program but Jeff listen really appreciate your time there loads of really interesting stuff and observations that hopefully um have informed everyone just before we sign off and say bye do you just want to remind people um what is the website that they, they can find out your work out um obviously sounds like some great initiatives so if you could just share that again that'd be great I'd love to. Thank you. For anybody that's interested, it's figureitoutbaseball.com, stalled like it sounds, figureitoutbaseball.com. And on the website right now, we've got, uh, at this point, we're shooting this, you know, in, in early 2022, but we've got more than 900 videos and podcasts on the website. All of our content is created by college and professional coaches. We have videos, we have podcasts, uh, we're kind of ex working on to expanding in some other things, but it's all totally free you know, to subscribe, you have to, you have to subscribe to watch videos, but subscribing is just, you know, matter of putting your name and email address. In. And once you do that, you have access to everything on the website. We don't, we're never going to ask you for any money for anything. So if anyone's listening to this and is interested, um, you know, in, in getting some training on the baseball side of things, uh, really good training at a, at a very, very affordable price, obviously, I hope you would check it out, but figure out baseball.com is sort of my passion project, something I work a lot on. And Michael, I appreciate you giving me an opportunity to be able to, uh, to talk about it a little bit. No worries at all. Really appreciate your time and catch up again soon. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Sports Initiative podcast with me, Michael Wright. Please remember to follow us on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram at the Sports Initiative podcast and share this podcast with friends and family. I'll see you next week.